right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Drovetta, Derek Johnson, and KU lost on Saturday. Got a big early Got up 13, but just could not hold on. 17 at one point. Was it? Yeah, their biggest lead was 17. Oh, just a missed opportunity, man. Um, I think it goes back to, you're, like, in a in a bubble or in a vacuum, you're fine with the loss, but that, like, if it was just back and forth all game and then Baylor pulled away like they did, fine. But to get up, that really, I don't know, that one bums me out a lot. It reminded yeah. me kind of, uh, the emotion was a little different, but in 2011, the day after Thomas Robinson's mom died, Texas, who was a top 10 team that year, came to Allen Fieldhouse, and for the first few minutes, Kansas could not miss. They just could not miss. I think it was 15 to three at one point, maybe even 18 to three. They just could not miss, and they were fantastic. And then all the emotion just went away, and Texas grabbed momentum and wound up winning. Going well, not going away, but they they won handily down the stretch so it's just annoying I, I think it's a combination of things that make it feel like a missed opportunity it's that you were up so big early in that game I mean uh, both games the the game in Allen Fieldhouse in the game on Saturday you started up 12 to 2 but again like you said um even despite all that even despite the fact that it was a missed opportunity because you really could have put a stranglehold on the big 12 I mean you would have clinched a share of it with a win in that yeah, game. The, the moment, like that game tipped off right as TCU was beating Tech. Yes. And at that point, you would have had a share already clinched with three games remaining where you just had to win one to clinch it outright. And you would have had, you know, with everybody else losing around you, we would have been talking about, I don't know, Kansas might be ranked number one right now, honestly. Um, we're talking about this team as, hey, have they emerged from that maybe second tier of teams for winning a title to maybe they are in that top tier of, uh, of teams. And at this point, if they win that game, we're talking about, man, this team doesn't have to do much the rest of the way to clinch a one seed, mm-hmm. you know? And, and all that made it kind of a missed opportunity. But like you said, Baylor's a really good team. I mean, Baylor is projected to be a one seed now after winning that game. They're ranked third in the country. You were playing them on the road at their home place, which was juiced up because college game day was there and just in general is a big game. Um, KU kind of stunk on ball screen defense and KU offensively missed a bunch of solid looks. It happens. Yeah. I think the, 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 the two things you can take away that might be a little concerning down the stretch and, and questions that are fair to ask, not ne- not declarations that you're making, but f- questions that are fair to ask is, are we seeing a regression by Jalen Wilson? Is this mm-hmm. kind of a beginning to going back? to not necessarily what he was at the beginning of the year, but is he starting to cool off a bit, a little, you know. I'm not saying that will happen. I'm not even sure I'd guess it was going to happen. But it, it it's shown that it, it's, it was a 
bad game by Jalen Wilson, at least uh, from a shot standpoint. Um, to your point real quick, over the last four games, he is 10 of 22 on twos, which isn't like a terrible number, but he was shooting like 65% What was that. he? And on threes over the last four games, he is uh, one for four, four for eight, four for 13. Four for thirteen, but that includes the three of four game against K State. Yeah, you kind and that was the other thing. You kind of had a night where, where against K State, nobody could miss a three mm-hmm. on uh, the only one making a three. What Ochai shoot thirty three percent from three? I think it was four There's for twelve. Four fourteen. Four fourteen. A lot of shots. He has the most shots by a KU player since Devonte Graham. So four four. I thought he was four for twelve. So yeah, even worse than thirty three percent. So yeah, you just you had a night where. Baylor made some really good good uh, shots down the stretch, um, and Kansas missed some some good opportunities down the stretch. The moment where it really felt like it turned around was Baylor. Nothing was hitting, and they were getting no offensive rebounds. And then there was a, a shot, kind of a layup that looked like for the umpteenth time in a row, it was going to roll off the front of the iron, and KU was going to get a rebound, and it wound up rolling into the bucket, and that. That w- was symbolically what kind of happened in that game. It went from Baylor missing a bunch of shots and KU making them to the other way around with that one moment. Mm-hmm. It, you know, that obviously wasn't that ball rolling into the bucket wasn't what caused everything, but that was a symbolic moment of how that game was about to shift. Yeah. And I think a lot of people after the game uh, took to the, you know, because really all season there's been a lot of. Uh, talk about, well, is Dewan Harris the best point guard and blah, blah, blah. And, and he had a bad game. Uh, he went 0 of 6 from the field, didn't have a good shooting game, still did have seven assists in the game, four turnovers. Um, and I think he was a much better defensive. Like Remy Martin in returning in the game really struggled defensively. But between Jalen and, and Dewan Harris, both of them, yes, very much struggled in that game. They went a combined, I think, two of 16 between the two of them. Yeah, Remy had a couple shots, but got cooked defensively when you're looking at 40 percent of your starters two-fifths of it with Dewan and Jalen combining to go two of 16 when you're playing a good team like that like that's just not going to be good enough but it's funny why a lot of people I think want to look at that and say you know this is an indictment on Dewan Harris being a starter blah 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 I just kind of look at it and say yeah that wasn't great and if that happens again you're probably going to lose again. You hope it doesn't happen again, but I'm not expecting it to happen again. Yeah, I I, I will say, and same it, with like like Mitch Lightfoot struggled as well. He had zero been, point zero rebounds, four fouls. Yeah, the one I mean, Mitch Lightfoot. I'll say this: Jesse Newell pointed out there was a play where um, David McCormick missed a seal that would have given Dewan Harris a, a very easy look at a layup, which would have I mean that would have been two more points, and it was early. You know, you don't know where the game would have gone. Other than that, but the point is, the, I bring that up to to let you know that Mitch Lightfoot did have a great seal at one point in the second half. So there were there were things that he's still capable of doing that he was doing well. But a, a lot of the the box score type things, like scoring and rebounding. Um, although, how do you do rebounding? Sco- I don't think he had any. Yeah. So so but, but like you know, so he did some little things well, but like scoring yeah, and rebounding, rebounds. he didn't show up at all. Um, but I do think the the Dewan thing I think is more just you don't and we but we've known this all year long. This just kind of became an extreme glaring example because he had a particularly bad night. But you had it just showed that you don't have a you haven't had a scoring point guard all year. And if you want to call that an indictment, 
um, on self for not as part of his job as recruiting, not getting a a scoring point guard. Although he did get Remy Martin, and that hasn't worked out due to injury. And I think you know I, I'm not, you know I'm not you know calling for self's head or anything. I think he recruited you know really well this off season, but he is they this team is lacking and has been lacking all year a guard that can score a, a, a yeah. lead guard that can score. And that came out and showed itself glaringly Saturday night. Yeah, and, and I, just, I, so I, I don't, I don't look at the Dewan thing as like, boy, he shouldn't be starting. I look at it more as due to circumstances between recruiting and Remy Martin's injury, this team is going to have to figure out ways to win games without a scoring lead guard. Right, and in an ideal world, Dewan Harris might only be playing twenty five minutes a game, and Remy Martin might be playing twenty five minutes a game, and Joe Yesfu might be playing ten minutes a game. But the problem with that is while Remy does instill that offense, he had five points in 11 minutes. He went two of three from the field. That was all great. And and I think you saw some of that burst and flash, which, by the way, that was funny that he, had, uh, according to C.J. Moore, he attempted a, a 360 dunk in the pregame. So if there was ever a question about how his health's doing, how his knee's doing, there's the answer. Um but he just got kind of toasted defensively. He got absolutely torched on the defensive Yeah, He got and so absolutely torched. It's hard, especially down the stretch, when you could use a guy like that to make oh. those shots to say, like, it's just hard for Bill Self to say, I can't trust you to play defense. I can't trust you that you're not going to veer away from what we're running offensively. And, and I think that stuff can still happen for Emmy Martin. Let's be clear. This is his first game back. How long did it take Jalen Wilson to come back? Mm-hmm. Uh, you hope that that's not the case with Remy because you don't have as much time as you did with Jalen to get him back into the flow of things. 11 minutes and five points mm-hmm. I would have been fine with. Mm-hmm. I just, the, the defense was really the, the, exactly. the problem. And so if that improves, great. Then you can get to a point where you are trusting him in late game situations. You are trusting him to play a heavier load. But specifically in that game, you can't afford to trade off the offense that you're getting, which is a big boost from Remy over Dewan, because the defense and the trust and the little things just just weren't there. So I don't think it is as simple to say, oh, if they would have just played this, you know, Remy over Dewan in the last stretch of uh, of the game, like it's a different. Or if they just play Remy more than what? No, I I don't think that's where we're at. I think this team just has a, it's not a glaring deficiency. I mean, you look around college basketball right now, and if I asked, like most years, if I said. Name the top five five lead guards. Name the top five point guards in the country. You could come up with a very easy list, and you could come up with a list of guys and be like, man, that guy's awesome. Yeah. That guy's awesome. And, and there's going to be a bunch of them on the first team All-American team or the second team All-American. I mean, there have been years where we've talked about, like, could you squeeze three lead point guards onto the first team All-American list? That is not the case at all this yeah, year. I mean, you, the you, face of the point guard spot this year, Ty, I don't, is it Colin Gillespie? I would have said Ty Ty Washington. Ty Ty Washington? But even then, like, he's... He's kind of a secondary much, piece on he's, Kentucky. Well, he's been he's, injured. He's good, but and he's, and the numbers he breaks out are more assists. Yeah, he's not scoring. He, I mean, he he can score. Like, I think he can score better just, than any of the light lead guards that Kansas consistently plays. But he's still not primarily a scorer. The point is, it's down across college basketball yeah. this year, which I I think probably does lead to you know we always talk about guard play wins does lead to. Th- Things like Saturday, where seven of the top ten and the top six all lose, and over the course of last week, eight of the top ten lost. It's probably going to lead to a crazy march. Also, um, for the record, I do want to. It, it is worth noting that uh, Kansas had the best loss of those top teams yeah, on Saturday. Hundred percent. They lost to they. They were underdogs. They lost it on the road to a top ten mm-hmm. team. And so, 
with the point guard spot, even though at times it can be in a, a, a deficiency for KU in terms of, like, I still think Dewan Harris is a positive net player for this team. Uh, Remy Martin, if all is right, he is a positive net player for this team. Joe Yesifu, same thing. But in terms of when you look at their other positions, like it is obviously a weaker position than their wing position. It is, you know, so forth. It is um, as much as the five position has been in flux and as much as Dave struggled with the Jeremy Sohan matchup, he's still overall at 10 and 13. And, um, you know, I, I think there's just questions there about the point guard spot, but there's questions there across the country. I, that means two things. On, on one hand, it, yes, you need to get more there if you're KU, even though, like I said, you can't afford to play Remy more if you're not trusting him and he's not playing defense like that. But also it does open up the possibility that if that ever does click, KU's right there, you know? Yeah, I mean they are they are a um they are a surprising you know Remy Martin turning into Malik Newman not even Malik Newman because mm-hmm. that he was special he won regional most outstanding player in 2018 but you're basically you're 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 Remy Martin away from something waking up and and just being fine mm-hmm. not being the Big Twelve Player of the Year but being fine uh, from being one of the three best teams in the country. Yeah. I mean, I, I still put them, uh, now I had to, I, you know, I'm eating a lot of crow cause I put Kentucky, Arizona and Gonzaga right up there as the three best, best. Um, and they all lost. Um, but I still think they're, they're above Kansas, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I think Kansas is a flawed national title contender. And I think every national title contender is a flawed national title contender. I'd agree with that. I was a little surprised though that Remy immediately played more minutes than Joe. Like you could have, you could have convinced me coming in and I okay maybe they'll pull, both play. We like actually eight to talked 10 minutes, about right? that. We both said the exact same thing that we we both expected Friday that it would be more Joe than than Remy. And because it was a lot more Remy. Well, especially with Joe, like that. That's part of the reason why that a lot of those questions with Remy, even though he does his ceiling is is higher than Joe, and he does things that can help your team in ways that you mentioned, having that scoring point guard. That's something you're looking to get out of Remy. That's why you continue to try to make this work. That's why you're continuing to go through this saga and playing him 11 minutes right off the bat. But with Joe, like every account of him of being a solid defender, being a ball mover, being a guy who impacts the game without filling up the stat sheet necessarily, being a guy who coaches have mentioned as he's like a people pleaser. Sometimes he tries too hard to do everything we're asking. Like all those things made me kind of believe that Joe, at least in the the early onset of Remy coming back, was going to be ahead of him in the rotation and was going to play more minutes until Remy earned his way back above that. I think that was a very interesting note, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's more of a note of a indication that maybe Self still just doesn't trust Joe Yesifu, or maybe if it was more of an indication of Self trying to say, no, obviously our highest ceiling is with Remy. We need to find ways to get him into games so that he can get reacclimated right now. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a story worth worth following, and time will kind of tell. If Remy continues to play more, I think it would be more that. I could add another theory. I'm not saying that this is the one I I believe, but I would I would add the theory that um, you he just was he just thought this you know Kansas needs points they need points mm-hmm. right now. Um, Baylor was except for the start when nothing was falling. Baylor was, was shot so well. Um, again, without the only time they weren't shooting well, KU was running away with, with it, and then they started shooting well and, and got right back into it and won by ten. Um, and so I I think that may have been his mindset like. 
we're going to need some points here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if, if and so I don't know if it was matchup dependent, but it, it's very possible. Um, but then I ask, you know, what's he going to do when they're playing? Like if they run into Tech again in the Big Twelve tournament, they play Texas Tech. Is it going to be more Joe Yesifu because they? He thinks, well, we're not. We may just naturally not score as much because we're playing Texas Tech. So we need a better guy, a guy who's going to be more do what we ask on the defensive side to prevent them from scoring. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's really hard to tell with uh, where things are at. But I think, like I said, if if that was what happened on Saturday, I kind of view it as it's going to be tough for Joe to get back into the rotation, which I think is a bit of a shame because, like I said. Remy does would, raise your ceiling more, yeah. but Joe really fills into some of the holes that your team has. You know, I would love to see some Remy and Joe together. I think there was for a few it wasn't, minutes. Yeah, but it wasn't often. No, it wasn't. I mean, um, Joe only played Didn't Dewan minutes. still lead all the starters in minutes? Yeah, Dewan had, no, not all starters, but he had 31 minutes. Who who led him? Like, for the starters? Yeah. Uh, Christian had 39, Jalen had 38, Ochai had 34, Four, then Dave okay. had 31. And another I was way off. All right, look at me not being way right. Um, so yeah, I'm dumb. I, I, I just, I, so my, in my, th- I don't know. I just, I thought Dewan played a lot more, but I just, I think more, I would be interested to see those two together in a lineup. Um, with, with Yesifu guarding the lead guard on the other team that can score a little more and then Remy doing what he can to, uh, to score offensively. Yeah, and and this continues to be a, a theme of the bench not really adding much for this KU team. Uh, Zach Clemens, KJ Adams, Mitch Lightfoot, Joe Yesfu, Remy Martin, Jalen Coleman, Lance—they all played. The only one who was above four minutes was Remy Martin. Bill Bill Self, and we'll hear him later. He had some interesting talks about KJ. Yeah, and I, I thought that was kind of interesting coming into the game. I I kind of I, I think I said on Friday I think this could be a KJ Adams game because when you looked at the Texas Tech game, he was a good matchup for them because they play a bunch of wings and you're going to want more of that wing style playing the five. And that ended up being the case for Baylor that killed you. Jeremy Sohan was playing a lot of five and he was able to get drives to the rims on your five. He ended up with 17 and five. He was a big game changer. And I thought KJ and KJ actually played a little bit, but it was only three minutes. I thought he played well. But yeah, Bill Self kind of talked about it in Mediavale earlier today, which again, we'll share for you um, of that in a game like that. He said he wishes that he went if he could go back. Maybe he would play KJ a little bit more. Maybe he would play Jalen Wilson at the five to kind of counteract that, which I think is interesting. But it's just it's tough because I think so often with how competitive Bill Self is, he just gets stuck in this, I'm going to play the guys I trust. And I I think that it kind of goes counter into the idea that this team does have a bunch of pieces that can fit certain matchups. But it's like if if you're going to stick with the guys you trust the most, then it's not going to make as much sense. What was the game? It was Iowa State. Because he was without Ochai, he said that at one point with Iowa State, he he kind of stopped. He he didn't say the word over coaching, but he basically said that he he at one point he kind of made things a little um, simpler in terms of what he wanted them them to do, and and said something along the lines of just you know he wanted them to just kind of go out and 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 play as they would and not be overly structured because they they a lot of the team that was in there didn't didn't have a ton of experience. So I, I I don't know that that was a really telling moment for me that I wonder if there is always at least after the fact like in the moment when when the adrenaline's going it's hard to get away from your um from your routine and mm-hmm. what's especially if you're as successful as Bill Self it's it's hard to get away from that 
but I wonder when the adrenaline calms down if this has been a lot of year if this year has featured a lot of Bill Self walking back on and and, and thinking of doing things in different ways and uh, and honestly thinking about it and just it being so tough to do when you're in the heat. Well, and, and to be clear, like the bench isn't going to make or break this team. It will be the starters, and they ended up with a, a positive plus-minus in the game against Baylor as a team, and they've been really good, the starters. But you had two starters that did not shoot. I had, yes. The, the plus-minus, you're right, did it, it, was, it did favor them, but you had two starters that did not shoot well at all. Correct. And so with the NCAA tournament, with the longer breaks, I will say this, like 13 of the last 14 national champions weren't even in the top 140 in the country in bench minutes. So the fact that KU is turning more of a, you know, we're more reliant on the starters isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you do need to kind of discover and get good minutes, at least from the sixth and seventh guy, because even if you're not playing deep in the rotation, you are going to play at least seven deep into March. You might play eight. And right now, KU is not even getting that. And then, like you said, you had low contributions from two of the five starters. It just puts more pressure um, on those starters from there. But yeah, I think the ball screen defense wasn't great. Didn't get a ton of bench production. Question marks about Remy Martin and all that stuff. Um, KU missed a lot of solid looks. And yeah, I'll, I'll say that it's yeah, it's kind of frustrating that you couldn't win a game like that because there have been other self teams. 2012 team kind of perfected it of winning tough in winning ugly. Um, this team hasn't really showed they can do that, but you know, Neither really did 2018. That team made the Final Four, so we'll just kind of wait and see. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown in about 15 minutes, who's going to talk Royals and lock out with us. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Well, the MLB lockout continuing on. I think Bryce Harper posted a Photoshop picture of him in a uh, Yomiuri Giants uniform. So who knows? Maybe he's going to sign over there. Maybe we'll have baseball. It'll just be international baseball. Joined now by David Lesky of Inside the Crown here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, so, David, let's let's imagine the lockout is not going on right now. What do you think we would be talking about as the uh, Royals spring training darling right now? Oh, boy. I mean, it's probably Bobby Witt, right? I mean, <laughs> he probably started the first game. What, what, was the first game yesterday or two days ago? Say the 28th, so two days ago. So he's probably got like four at-bats and a, a home run and a double, and everybody's talking about, you know, just putting his name on the Rookie of the Year trophy already and all that. And um, instead, we get to see videos of him working in minor league <laughs> because he's allowed to be there. So good for him. Um, yeah, him or the other side of it is I because, you know, everybody's got to just pile on me. I, I'm guessing Ryan O'Hearn would be like four for seven with three homers <laughs> in his first two games. That, that's, <laughs> that's the other option. <laughs> Okay, I uh, do you want to join in on this? I've I've talked to a couple people about this. Um, if the MLB is not going to play, why don't we just start our own baseball league? Um, yeah, I'm in. Okay, I, I, I'll, I'll throw in a few bucks. Yeah, we need like Jeff Bezos or somebody to fund. You know, all the travel yeah, and the parks. I, mean, I got a twenty spot for you. Uh, mm. <laughs> I think we're going to need a little bit more. We need but, Walter uh, Harvey from Harvey Bars and some ball play, some farmers from Oregon. That's how you start. Isn't that how you start your own? Baseball league—that's how—that's right. how they do it in the movies. That is, 
the the script is written. I, so yeah, this is silly. Why are we? Why are we even talking? We know how to do this. Let's just get it done. Are there any drunks that hit a bunch of home runs? We can grab as one of the managers. Oh gosh, I you know I don't, I don't want to um, insinuate. Yeah, don't want to out anybody as a drunk. But but I, <laughs> but I imagine I imagine there have been a few players over the last over the last decade or two who um, like to throw back a cold one and hit 430 home runs or something like that. Man, yeah. coach, Ooh. that was some good peeing. Yeah, that was a very uh, very specific number that she threw out there. Um, That's but, how many Tom Hanks hit yeah, in the right. movie. Uh, David, in all, in all honesty, like, what do you view to be the biggest holdup right now between the owners and the players? I mean, <laughs> on a very uh, macro level, the fact that the owners have no willingness to make a deal. I mean, <laughs> that, that's what it comes down to. Because I, I think up until, really up until Saturday, I think you could have made an argument that I would have disagreed with, but it's somewhat logical that both sides were moving too slowly and not moving enough. And then what happened on Saturday, the players made a massive move. They went, so the original proposal, they wanted everybody with two years of service time to be eligible for arbitration. Right now, that's three years. They eventually dropped that down to the top 80% in terms of service time with two-plus years, and then that went to 75%. And then on Saturday, they dropped it to it's either 35 or 33%. I've seen both, so I'm not. it ultimately doesn't matter. It's a massive drop. <laughs> they, the, the number of players that they said, okay, fine, we, we're not going to grant them Super 2, which means they hit arbitration a year earlier, all that. The number of players they dropped out of that is massive. And the owners responded with, Nah. So if if you're in a negotiation and one side takes a huge, huge jump toward your side, the next thing you do is say, okay, we'll come meet you in the middle. Or, I mean, the, the, the percentage that the players dropped, the owner should have just said yes, honestly. Um, but if they, I mean, it would have been really easy for them to say, okay, the top 30% instead of the top 22%. And then the players would have said, fine, whatever. I So when you look at that, that's just a, a, a little microcosm of everything. They're not willing to make a deal. <laughs> they, not only are they not willing to, to, to move at all, but they've taken things they were already agreed on, draft lottery, um, eliminating penalties for signing a qualifying offer-free agent. Those things they already agreed on doing. And they said, well, actually, it's going to be tied to something else. Well, no, no, hang on. <laughs> That's not how this works. You, you can't agree. I mean, you, I guess you technically and legally can, but that's, that's not, that's not cool. (laughs) And so it's very clear that they had no intention of, of a deal unless it was a deal that benefited them. And, you know, you might even argue it was more of a slap in the face. They did make a move on the luxury tax. They went up $1 million in one of the five seasons of this, of the CBA. One, $1 $1 million total over five years from their previous proposal, and they dropped the penalties a touch, which are already way higher than they currently are. I, you, you, can't, you can't look at what they did and say they're negotiating in good faith. And I, I, use, I use in good faith in a, in a non-legal way because there actually is a legal definition of that that I don't know. <laughs> but it, you just can't tell me that they're, they're looking for a deal based on what they've done. David, do you think the owners really understand, and I know it's cliche, and I don't want to get too into the cliche of, oh, the the out-of-touch rich guy, but 
do you think the owners truly understand how much the popularity of baseball is is teetering? Even with labor peace, the popularity of baseball is teetering. Do you think owners have any grasp that that's the that that's the truth? Um, I think they. I mean, they're not stupid, right? Well, some of them might. Be. I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't talked to all of them. There might be some stupidity in that ownership group. I mean, I've I've followed the Rockies a little bit. Um, but I I think that. I think they don't care because the reality is you can say that baseball's popularity is dropping, but it's still an $11 billion industry. The Braves numbers came out, which was just horrible timing for, for the owners in this negotiation. And they, their profit was like $106 million in 2021. And that's in a season where they didn't have a full stadium until June. Uh, yeah, they So they're, they're approaching Derek Johnson's salary numbers with what the Braves are making, huh? Well, I, mean, it's, I, I didn't say I didn't say under six billion. I said under six billion. Oh, okay, sorry. With an M, but yes, I mean it's getting close. Uh, but I mean, whether or not it's popular, they're making a boatload of money, and yeah, it's just I I don't I don't think that um, I don't think they care all that much, which is is terrible. I mean, it, it it's I, look, I get it. You're a business owner, <laughs> and and how you want to spend your money, how you want to make your money, you you want to make the most money, whatever it is. I get that to some extent, but also I think that there's some level of owning a baseball team as being a uh, public steward to the game and to, to your city and to the, the country. You know, I, I think that there's something to that, and that's not really um, something that they're caring about so much. And, and I, it's easy to put this on all 30 owners. I don't think all 30 owners are this way. I think that Enough are obviously that they're not uh, they're not willing to move here, um, but I, you know I from what I've heard and I don't I, I don't know this firsthand at all, but it sort of seems like John Sherman is not in this boat. Um, I think that he bought the Royals to be a big part of the city and not to turn a profit, even though he knows I mean, the reason he bought them he knows he's going to turn a profit. So it, it, let's not make him out to be this altruistic amazing human being, but I, I don't think he's the type of type of guy here. And I think there are other owners as well throughout the league. I think that I think that a handful probably are not that way. But I mean as a group, because you've got to group them, that's uh, that, that's what it comes down to. They don't they don't care if baseball declines. And and the other side of it, let's let's be honest. We we talk about oh baseball's not going to come back from that. Look, the NHL lost an entire season and now they're as popular as ever. And they lost a good chunk of a season 10 years ago. The NBA lost 32 of their 82 games 10 years ago. And now people are saying, boy, the NBA is past baseball in popularity. Well, <laughs> they, they, they had the same issue. It was, it, was, it was a lockout that cost them regular season games in, in both leagues. And they're both thriving right now. So to say that they can't come back is, is short-sighted. But, I mean, short-term, they're, they're going to hurt from this. And they don't care. They just don't care because they're making their money either way. The owners set the deadline of today for, you know, needing to have an agreement if there are games that aren't supposed to be missed. Do you actually believe that? Like if these two sides came to an agreement, let's say on like Thursday, you know, are, are we actually missing games? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's an arbitrary date, right? They said that we need four weeks of spring training. Ultimately, <clears throat> they, they, they could they could find a way. To make even if you don't start on March 31st, 
I, I think you could start as late as April 15th and or sport, whatever, whatever you want, that, that, around that time and not miss any games. You'd have to work some scheduled doubleheaders in there, take away a couple off days. You know, there, there, there's some things that you have to do, but I think that they could fit the schedule um, up to about two weeks after, after the start of opening day. They said they don't want to do that. It's a negotiating ploy. I mean, it, that, that's the reality of it. Um, and also, if they, if they got to a deal on Thursday, I'm going to guess we see baseball on March 31st. I, I don't think they're going to delay opening day because a deal came 65 hours after their, their deadline that was just totally pulled out of thin air. So I, I think it's not totally. I mean, they, they want four weeks of spring training. I get that. But, but uh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Based on the tenor of negotiations today, and I say this with, you've got to kind of take a grain of salt in what's said during negotiations. What really comes out afterwards is what is what's most interesting. But based on what we've heard during, I don't think we can expect something by Thursday. I just don't. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like they're trending toward a deal. That said, sometimes if you want to look at the optimistic card, sometimes the most contentious days are the the the, the, the dark before the dawn. I guess you can put it that way. Um, and so you, know, you get past all this yelling and finger pointing, and eventually you say, "Okay, we got to make a deal now." I'm tired. <laughs> you know, I think about. Uh, you know, siblings fighting, and eventually you're on the ground both wheezing because you've, you've just been wailing on each other for 10 minutes, and you get up and you'd, you know, you'd make popcorn or something. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I, that, that would be the optimistic of this, but um, hard, hard to see it right now. We're talking with David Lesky of Inside the Crown and Royals Review here on RCST. Whenever the lockout does end in you know 2026 in June or something like that, um, what should be the first priority for the Royals once the uh, I guess off season commences? Yeah, I, I think that what they're going to they're going to look for relievers. Um, I honestly, I think they're 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 fine. I think that the team as is is probably okay because I don't think that they're really primed to win anything in 2022. I think that they, you know, they're, they're probably 77 to 82 win team, which is fine. I said, it's, it's the next step and that's great. Um, obviously if things fall the right way, the young pitching gets better. The young hitting comes up and hits the ground running, which doesn't, doesn't always happen. Um, they could win more, but yeah, you know, I don't, I don't see a difference maker out there really. Um, but they're going to look for a reliever. Ryan Tapera, Colin McHugh, those guys are possibilities. Um, what I think they need to do is get, get Carlos Santana out of here as soon as humanly possible. And I think it's possible. People say, oh, you can't trade that guy. Yeah, you can. Um, <laughs> you're not going to get a ton for him. But, I mean, you really just want to clear the roster spot. And you may not, you may not want Mick Prado in the big leagues to start the season. And I, I would get that to some extent because he has the strikeout troubles last year. Um, and as a 40-man member, he's not going to have a full spring so you might want to give him and, and, and MJ Melendez as well some time in in AAA just to get their legs under them once the lockout ends. Um, but you want to be able to get him up, get Nick Prado up as soon as you can, as soon as he's ready to be up. And say, so, yeah, you play Hunter Dozier at first base for 30 games, for whatever, it doesn't matter. But you don't have Carlos Santana blocking Nick Prado in that case. So I think that should be the first move. I think they will look for relievers, though. Who do you envision to be the ace of this staff? Ideally, <laughs> it, it's Daniel Lynch or 
Carlos Hernandez or Brady Singer. Who cares? You know, anybody under anybody under 30, anybody under 27, you're happy with. Um, realistically, and I guess he falls in this. It's, I, I, I would not be surprised to see a Brad Keller bounce back um, and, and him end up being the best pitcher on this staff. He, if he can stay healthy, he, he looked different good before he got hurt in at the end of 2021, or I guess it was in uh, late August, early September, whenever that was. He he was trying to strike guys out. His his slider was really working. Um, it's easy to look at Brad Keller's 2021 and say, gosh, he, he regressed to the mean. And, yeah, I guess he kind of did. Um, but, really, it was the first two and a half months of the season. And I know that's a lot, but also it's two and a half months of a four-year career, and the other three and a half seasons were good. So I, I'm not quite ready to, to bury Brad Keller just yet, and I think he's probably the best bet to be the best pitcher on this staff. But if they want to win, like I said, it's Lynch or Hernandez or any any of the young guys. And uh, as far as the closer role, Scott Barlow, do you think it's that simple, or do you think it's more of just a uh, kind of rotating bullpen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that I think it'll evolve as the season goes on. I I would imagine if if on opening day, whenever that is, the Royals are up four to two in the ninth, Scott Barlow comes in. But if it's May first, I don't know. Maybe it's Josh Stamont, Dylan Coleman. Personally, I think that if this team is going to go where they want to go, and it doesn't have to be in twenty twenty two, it could be twenty three, twenty four, whatever. Their closer is probably not going to be Barlow. I like Scott Barlow. He's a really good reliever. Um, But I think you need a guy who isn't as reliant on off-speed stuff. I would love to see Scott Barlow go to the fastball a little bit more, actually, um, which I think would maybe change my opinion on that. But, I mean, if you – if Josh Stamon's control gains were real from 2021 and his velocity was down because of a lot of injury issues and, and COVID stuff and all that, if he can regain the velocity and keep the control, him or Dylan Coleman, those two are the guys. They're, they are the prototypical, we're going to throw 99, here it is, try to hit it type guys. And I think if the Royals are going to be as good as they want to be, one of those two guys probably needs to be the closer. But again, if Barlow throws, look, he throws 95, 96. He's not, throwing, he's, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not up there throwing junk. He's not Jamie Moyer from the right side or anything. So, if he can, if he goes to the fastball just a little bit more, and that's something I'm probably going to write about this week, um, I think, I think he could be in that conversation. But until then, I think they need to have one of those flamethrowers back there at the end. He is David Lesky. Check out his work inside the Crown Royals Review. David, before we let you go, this is a new thing since you last came on. Uh, my producer and co-host Adam Dravetta. We finish off our interviews now with. Uh, a random question from Adam. We call it one last. Oh, thing this with isn't Adam. new. I've done this. Oh, you have. Oh, yeah. He's he's oh, no yeah. stranger. Man, time is such a flat circle. <laughs> anyway, one right. last thing with Adam. David, one last thing. What was your favorite science fair project as a kid? Oh, I hated the science fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I feel like I did one of those like potato battery things, and that was fun. Sweet. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't I don't really honestly remember because I think I blocked it all out. But I. I that that oh you know what no take that back making a volcano that was awesome I dig it love it yeah there's my answer I just remembered <laughs> a volcano indicative of Bobby Witt whenever he gets up to the majors whenever the yep. season starts he is David Lusky check out his work inside the Crown Royals review David appreciate you coming on man absolutely thanks guys.
All right, that's David Lesky. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. One hour down, two to go. Case of the Monday. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right, it's your Monday. Case of the Mondays here. Hold on real quick. Do I have a case of the Mondays because I've been fired because I'm not in that opener? Oh, no. I didn't even realize that. We'll have to fix that. We need to fix it anyway because we are actually today going to slightly alter Case of the Mondays. You know, in in times past, we've talked about maybe stories that you hadn't heard of or weren't just front line as, you know, NFL games going on or the KU game or whatever it was. There's an excuse to bring up those stories. We're going to slightly change this up. Case of the Mondays is going to change up to be who is having a case of the Mondays. Bummer of a Monday. Exactly. First up is going to be the future Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now might be having a case of the Mondays anyway. We mentioned the Bruce Arians quote about Blaine Gabbert. Tom Brady retired. Um, so, yeah, that's that's not great. Probably feeling it. But I bet they have the Sunday scaries really bad, too. They do. But they're going to have a really bad case of the Mondays coming up in the fall. Uh, it was announced that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will play in the inaugural Germany game played in Munich or München, as the locals call it, as one of their home games. Um, so, certainly... Imagine playing a football game. You're bashing each other's brains out. You're tired. You're sore. You're, you're injured. 12-hour flight home. <laughs> yeah, you have a 12-hour flight home on your Monday that you probably get in at like 6 in the morning or something like that. That's not too fun. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. Just for kicks, they should make him play that Thursday week too. Oh, gosh. Although, <laughs> no, that'd be terrible. I think there's a, I think you have to have a you bye week the next that, right? I think by rule, you have to have a bye week after your international game. I, yeah, I believe do. that's the case. Unless um, you did the bye week the week before and then did the Thursday night game, and then you'd have 10 days off after there, that. Yeah, there you go. Um, oh, either way. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I'm guessing uh, the Chiefs will have a case of the Mondays, too, because mm-hmm. since this announcement came out, we've, we've talked about the Chiefs' connection to Munich, their connection with Bayern Munich. They have some sort of business connection. Like there's a certain amount of teams that have a uh, of NFL teams that have some sort of promotional or business connection to Munich, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and one of them is the Kansas City Chiefs, and that will be a home Tampa Bay Buccaneers game that they are sacrificing. And one of their home opponents next year is the Kansas City Chiefs. So look for the Chiefs to be playing. I this is pure speculation. We don't know anything. Um, so we're not reporting anything, but just pure speculation. If they want to make it a big, big game with as big a names as possible, Tom Brady will no, no longer be in that game. So I would not be surprised if they send the Chiefs. Yes, I agree. And also, you know, just linking up, doing a little detective work, doing a little Sherlock Holmes. If you go to the Chiefs, who they're supposed to play on the road this year, one of those teams is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There an echo? And this is. Supposed? Oh, I didn't hear you say that. I just heard you saying that the Chiefs would probably be the team. No, I, I said. I didn't hear you say I that. I said part. it's a home game for Tampa, and that's and one of their home opponents is the Chiefs. Yeah. Um, 
I think it would make too much sense. I, I yeah, I would guess we're sitting here in a few weeks talking about the Chiefs playing in in Berlin or in uh, Munich next year. This would have to be like a morning game, right? For us, it's like um, eight hours later there. Yeah, I mean it's it's always in the morning when when they play in London. Kind of stinks. And, and I think it's a couple hours past Lawrence or right, past quick, uh, past quick power London. ranking of times you want the Chiefs to play at if they're playing on Sunday. Three in the afternoon. Wait, wait, you didn't hear me out. You have the three in the afternoon, you have Sunday night, you have the normal noon, and then let's say this at like nine. Three in the afternoon. Power ranking. All of them. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, one. Well, I'm I'm more likely to be still awake at nine AM than awake already okay. at nine AM. So I'll say three a, three PM is my <laughs> favorite. Next to seven, Sunday night football, because usually one for the time, two, that's also usually a great opponent. Because mm-hmm. we've talked about a bunch. Sunday night football has kind of become what Monday night football mm-hmm. used to be. Where it's great, great matchup. So Sunday night football, then noon, then early. Yeah, I'll go uh, 3 p.m. Grab slate. some breakfast. I like I like breakfast breakfast food though. So yeah, but yeah, 3 p.m. I think is number one. Number two, uh, yeah, number two. I'll still go the Sunday night game. I I might have had Sunday night game number one. The only exception is if you're going to the game, then that kind of sinks. But also, okay, Munich is seven hours ahead of Lawrence, Kansas. Okay. By the way, it's so yeah, curved, so, if- so it'll be. They could, oh, I, I could say they're having a, game. A, 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 or I could say at nine o'clock. Yeah, they play at four, four in the yeah. afternoon there. I could see that. Yeah, but between the honestly, I, I think I'd rather them play not repeatedly, but at least for this since it's just going to be a one-off. I think I would rather them play at nine than noon because I just I hate it when the Chiefs play at noon because I want to focus on watching the Chiefs game, and no, the noon slate is when the majority of the games happen. That's the best time. For the Chiefs yeah. not to be playing because I can just enjoy an overload of other games. I'd almost, like, I would rather an international, for, for my schedule, because of uh, my whole life I've been such a night owl, um, I would I would almost rather the Chiefs, if they play an international game, I'd rather it be in, like, Tokyo, where they used to have preseason games in Tokyo. And I'd almost yeah, rather... College football bowl game. Yeah, Tokyo yeah. Bowl. I'd almost rather that... Um, because that it was kind of like when Kansas was in uh, Korea for the World University Games. Like you get together at like 10 p.m. It's <laughs> so like if if the Chiefs are playing in Tokyo, then the game here starts at like 10 or 11 at, at night on Saturday night. I think that'd be pretty cool, but that won't happen. Elsewhere in the NFL, uh, Sean McVay might be feeling a little groggy today. He might be having a case of the Mondays, and you know I'm sure he's happy, but there's also probably a bit of a you know an emotional hangover going with this. Uh, he will not be pursuing TV opportunities, which kind of puts to rest the will he retire, at least right now. Didn't his fiance already do that on the Instagram thing? She did, but then there were reports that Amazon Prime was willing to offer as much as $100 million for him to call football games for them. And that is more than he would be making or will there be making so, as head coach. Yes, I, there are... With less work. I just don't understand... Like there are so many jobs. I've I've had jobs where I've been truly miserable, like truly miserable. And there <laughs> Hopefully are Hopefully like, not this one. The, no, I love this job, and it, which is why I'm fine doing it for not you know, for pay that basically allows me to live my life and that's it, which is fine. I'm not getting rich and that's okay. I love what I do. But for 100 million dollars, I would do so many jobs and work there for 8 months and never go back. I'm like do you, to find do you understand now. 100 million dollars? You work one well you work one year of that contract and you just go, you know, what's it? What, what are they going to, what are they prepared to offer? Is it five years? Because Tony Romo and fine. Troy Aikman are hunger, are hovering around 18 million a year. So if they're thinking 20 million a year for him, you just do 
two years of that, and you never have to do a thing again. That's why I've always thought being a co- being a high level coach is great. Do you know how much it pays to get fired as a Division One coach? <laughs> Which is probably why I'd never become a Division One coach because I'm sitting here on the air going, "Yeah, fire me for eight million dollars." I dare you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently, there's a five year, hundred million dollar contract, dude. I mean, it was a huge deal when John Gruden got a ten year, hundred million dollar contract to coach, and this you- is way less stressful. And you're, I mean, I understand there's more to it. Like people say, oh, you only got to work for, you know this, you do more play-by-play than I do, and I do some. You know that it's it's much more than, oh, you just got to yeah. be there for there's three hours. Meetings, yeah, so crap, there, watching film there in the is, case of the color guy. There is work to it, but it's not, it's not 100 hours a week, which is what coaching is. It says Man, apparently. Dude must love coaching, which, hey, good for him. He's doing what he loves. Apparently, so Al Michaels is going to no longer be doing stuff with NBC. Mike Tirico is going to ta- take over. Apparently, Amazon's going for Al Michaels to be the play-by-play guy as well. That would be a fun little broadcast. But yeah, I'll do I mean, it for an million a year. An million for a year. Less than that. Um, Sean McVay is making $8.5 million as a head coach. Reportedly, the Rams are... Which, with as much coaches as they work, that comes to about $2 an hour. Does that say something, though, that, like, shouldn't the coaches be making more than the broadcasters? Yes, but I they don't because there are more of them. Um, but, I yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Um, but, no, I, they, they don't. I... I just you have I mean look coaches get paid fine the head coaches get and and coordinators they all get paid fine but you truly have to love it. Do you like th- they they you have to love that job yeah. or just at the very least you have to love being miserable. Well that's the thing like there is no competition part. There is no winning the Super Bowl yeah. as a broadcaster. So that is what you get out of being the head coach. But there's got to be at least a little part of him that is like, man, I can't believe I turned down there's, that money. Yeah, I agree. There's something to be said, though. You hear stories all the time of people who, um, you know, the the their life goes to hell after they win the lottery mm-hmm. because they, they stop working. They don't have a project. The old saying, idle hands do the devil's work. Um, so you don't, you know, you don't pick up a project. So, you, you know, you don't have something driving you. And a lot of them wind up in drugs. Their marriage goes to, goes down the drain. Things like that. So I get why you would... I actually can miss into an argument why you want to stay away from the that freakish level of temptation. I get it. But you're still involved. You're still, you still have a job. You're doing something productive. It's in the field that you love. But if you just... If what, you, if what drives you is that love of competition, then you got to do it, man. Well, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, broadcast flux going on right now. Um, Troy Aikman's going to ESPN and so forth. But apparently, the guy that Amazon Prime is, is zeroing in on now that they didn't get their number one target, it seems, and Sean McVay, is Kirk Herbstreit. That'd be wild. And I, I wonder what to that would To do Pro mean. Bowl? Well, yeah. He, I mean, if you remember, he's done a couple games now yeah, over they, the past they, couple years. Yeah, they've swapped. They've, ESPN's mm-hmm. done that a few times where they'll swap. And, and they they'll, usually do like a preseason game. Yeah. I, I like Kirk Herbstreit. I think I, he'd be great he's at it. He's fine, yeah. I heard him talk on an interview that he... Because he's done college so long, and he did the couple NFL games, he found it so exciting and like a new venture in his career that he would be interested in. The question I would have would be, is he going to do both still? You know? Yeah. If he takes this, would he do both? And and I think most importantly, college game day in the football realm is such a fixture in the sports media landscape. Seeing that show... Without, I mean, Lee Corso is going to retire, I mm-hmm. imagine, soon. Seeing that show without Kirk Herbstreit and Lee Corso, that'd be pretty wild. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, 
Yeah, you're right. It, it would be like, and, and it, it's it would be a continuation of what's going on in college football, which with conference realignment, all the tradition is going away. Yeah, um, which is getting sadder and sadder. And you're right. It, it would be something to see. It was. I mean, it's it was. I didn't realize how huge of a deal it was because I was too young. I remember vividly. I remember watching the USC Texas national title game, but I don't. Re- I don't remember vividly how big of a deal it was for that being. Um, um, oh my gosh! Whoa, Nelly! Oh yeah, um, uh, Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson's final game. final game. I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I couldn't appreciate. I knew it was his final game, but I couldn't appreciate w- what a tectonic shift that was. Um, because I, I I was too young to appreciate what um what he meant, what Keith Jackson meant to the sport, and this would be something similar. Okay, last thing in the NFL, you know who's got to be feeling case of the Monday today? Arizona Cardinals fans. Did you see Kyler Murray? Um, well, I guess Kyler. Well, their life is so great otherwise. Wow. Fans, so yeah. Why would? Um, his agent Eric Burkhart released the statement. Adam Schefter posted it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is the interesting part. Looking ahead, Kyler believes that in order to consistently compete for championships and ultimately deliver the Valley their first Super Bowl in 33 plus years, there needs to be long-term stability for both the organization and himself to overtly communicate. Kyler's desire to be the Cardinals' long-term QB, we sent a detailed contract proposal to the organization. It was important to Kyler that his proposal reflected all of the following. Provides financial protection, is in line with the current QB market that compares his results alongside relevant comps, lowers his 2022-23 to salary cap number to allow the Cardinals to re-sign other uh, deserving teammates, and add additional free agents, and most importantly, represent a real commitment from the organization to see if their ultimate goals align with his two above, consistently competing for championships, and Kyler being their quarterback. Okay, a few things on this. I, uh, at least outwardly, and now look, he's, it's not like he's, you know, doing this to say, you don't know, I'll take the league minimum to go ahead and compete for a title. He's wanting money. Um, but outwardly, at least, he's saying this is about wanting to work for an, or an organization committed to winning a championship. But I think the bigger thing is, the bigger story here is it just continues um, of, of, of quarterbacks saying, "Look, we we what we see Aaron Rodgers. We see we see what kind of power we leverage not not just as players, but as the most important player in any team game." Um, and for the record, the Chiefs, and I think the Chiefs have really good, I think I think Clark Hunt is a terrific owner. I think Brett Veach is doing a great job. So I think they, they are smart enough to understand this. But a lot of, you know, to draw back to how this may affect things locally, like quarterbacks are seeing the kind of leverage they draw in this sport more now than ever. Oh, yeah. Um, and if, if Kyler Murray can start throwing out the mans now, then they need to do everything they can to keep Patrick Mahomes happy. Secondly, um, if you're Kyler Murray, hey man, shoot your shot. As as we would say, and we'll, we may there may come a time in the future we explain this. My version of shoot your shot is send the potato. But uh, you know, shoot your shot if you're Kyler. Try to get that raise. Try to force your the hand of your ownership group to say no. We're in. We're in for the long haul. We want you here, and we want to help put rings on your fingers. I just don't know if Kyler Murray is the right guy to be making demands. I agree, but it's, it says something that Kyler Murray seems emboldened enough to do, feels emboldened enough to do it. Sure, but... Like, he is, he is low on the list. Like, if you told me this was Josh Allen, 
or even Lamar Jackson who's taking a step back, um, or or Joe Burrow. Like, okay, that all makes a little more sense. But I, I think the bigger story here is not, wow, Kyler Murray. I think it's the fact that Kyler Murray looks around the league and feels emboldened enough to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think with all the reports that came out from the Cardinals about Kyler Murray and that there were certain things they don't get along with and they feel like Kyler Murray is a finger pointer and he doesn't take blame for stuff and he can be not a great leader, teammate sometimes, and he's not the hardest worker, things like that. Um, I just, I, I think that, this doesn't really help that, and I don't know if he's even a top ten quarterback. There's a lot of good quarterbacks in the NFL. I would not. I, that's the other side of that coin. I wouldn't pay Kyler, Kyler Murray. He, you, I think Kyler Murray is a quintessential, quintessential example of a guy that you can get ninety percent of of his production for ten percent of his cost, especially when he starts demanding money because someone's going to be dumb enough to pay him. Well, he's really good. It's just there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the NFL. That, and that's what I'm saying. He, he's not overwhelmingly great. Though. He hasn't won a playoff game. Like, dude, chill. Maybe you should. He, look, Cliff Kingsbury deserves the 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 guff that he gets because he has been so terrible in the back half of all of his seasons as a coach compared to the front half. But in the pros, Kyler Murray's owned that too. That's been part of his. That's been that goes on Kyler Murray. The, the collapse of the Arizona Cardinals late this season goes on Kyler Murray as well. My last Especially story, if he wants to be the face of the franchise. The world might be having a case of the Mondays soon, according to Pat Robertson, who is claiming that Putin is being compelled by God to invade Ukraine in preparation for a massive end-of-times invasion of Israel. I, re I remember, you know, a decade ago, this was the popular thing. It was uh, end-of-world stuff. We had 2012, the movie mm -hmm. came out, the Mayan calendar. I think 2011, I can't remember the name of the guy for the life of May of 2011, it was all coming crashing down. I, yeah. I know that it's, yeah. It's some, there was some guy yeah, who was he, like, the he world predicted, is going to he end. He predicted the end of the world about 30 times by then. <laughs> yeah, and did. yeah, it was he May did. of 2011 was one of the big ones. Uh, I guess this is coming back Came now. and went. Um, end of the world talk. So, yeah, well, look, everybody, since since humans have been able to um, to understand that the world will end, or at the very least that their life will end, um, since humans have been able to understand that the world's going to end, I think pretty much every human who's ever lived has had the thought that mm. it's going to happen in their lifetime. Somebody's going to be right sometime. Um, but nobody asked me, so I, I, I can't really control whether or not the end of the world's coming, so I... Okay, ultimate prediction. On it. Does it end in the, our lifetime? Uh, I'll say no, because there's no way I can lose that bet. Exactly. Because either I die, <laughs> or it ends, and I don't have to pay back. I anyway. also don't want to be the guy who's right. It's like, ah, yeah. see, there's the nuke. There's, Boom. You know, bam. Anyway. Yeah. Hey, that uh, that rock's getting pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Huh. <laughs> That's not great, but at least I was right. Boom. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. That is your case of the Monday. Sun look a little bigger to you <laughs> than normal today. Coming up next, Bill Self spoke at the media earlier today. We'll let you listen into that. This is RCST on KLWN. Depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports.
You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson. As uh, an update on our poll at RCST 1320, you can vote on it. Who should play more minutes on Tuesday night against TCU? 55% say Remy Martin. 45% say Joe Yesifu. I would be interested. I saw occasional, not often, but occasional tweets getting frustrated with Dwan Harris. Yes. So I would be. I would wonder if you added, like, if there was a Remy and Yesifu option, what that would look like I, versus a. I think most people would still go Dewan and Remy, but I, I actually mm-hmm. think a surprising amount of people would want Yesifu and Dewan, and um and Remy. And you just heard the self uh, audio talking about you know maybe Dewan could play a little bit less, but that. That has to be earned. He's not just going to give it to Remy or Joe. Like They have to go out and take it. I, I was a little surprised by the Joe lack of minutes. Um, so, like I said earlier, I, I would go Joe or maybe more of an even split. If you could smush Remy and Joe into the same player, oh, you'd be, be fantastic. so happy. I mean, you'd have uh, super athletic guard, super fast, be yeah. able to score, good defender. Smart Gosh. defender, yeah. Well, and, and Remy, I, smart, I shouldn't say, because Remy's a smart person, but I just mean... Yesifu's defensive instincts, mm-hmm. he really seems to, to have those. He really knows what he's doing on the defensive end. Yeah. Baylor, by the way, plays and in Remy's Texas And Remy's clearly tonight. athletic enough to to be a good defender. He just isn't. Yeah, he's one of the fastest players on the team. Um, But Baylor plays at Texas tonight. If Baylor wins this game, it, it becomes pretty certain that KU's going to have to go 3-0 and this week to win the Big 12 outright. Um, If they get a share, it might be fine, too, for them to get a one seed because Baylor is a one seed too, but it would go a long ways to your one seed campaign if you win the league outright. If Baylor loses tonight at Texas, I mean that that's huge for KU because then you can afford to go two and one this week, and it's hard to see them going worse than two and one. I agree. Like it's it it's easy to see them going two and one. It's just hard to see them going worse. What do you think's more the more likely three and zero oh or two and one? Three and zero oh or oh, um, I thought you were saying three or oh, three and zero oh or one and two. No. Um, I think two and one is probably more likely, just because if you play like the odds game, yeah. Like, okay, here, let me. Well, if you if you, if you look at it as like they have sixty percent of each to win each game, then over the long haul, they don't have a high percentage of winning all three of them. Yeah, well, okay, so they'll Ken be favored. They'll be favored in every game, but that doesn't mean they'll win every game. Ken Palm has percentages of their chance to win, so it's it's sixty eight percent that they win in Fort Worth. It is 85% that they win at home against TCU, and it's 71% that they win at home against Texas. If you add up all those odds, basically you multiply them together to get what the odds it would be that you win all three, yeah. it's a 41% chance yep. to go 3-0, 59% chance that you win one of those three. I do think— Or lose um, one of those three, sorry. I, I would agree that those odds sound right, but I, I and it wouldn't shock me if they lose actually really tomorrow or— you know. Saturday, even I think tomorrow's most likely Saturday second, but Thursday's least. I do think that they, I do think that this is like this is a a really focused team um, after Saturday, Mm -hmm. and so I, I, it's not like I think three and zero is far and away more likely than one and two. Yeah, and again, I don't look at Saturday's game and say that oh this team is in shambles now. I look at a game where you played a good team on the road and you missed a lot of shots and you lost. Yeah, I think uh, yeah I agree. It doesn't change the way that I view this way uh, how this team's going or anything. Uh, The KU woman also lost on Saturday in Waco. I I caught a little bit of the game. It it was close game. Chiseled back. They were the the Baylor broke it open third quarter and then it was. 
I think Anaya Thomas canned a free throw to bring it back to within three, and that's as close as it got in the fourth. I was really impressed, though, even though they didn't win the game. Again, tough loss on the road against a good opponent. Just impressed with their ability to keep responding. Baylor kept pushing the lead to five, seven, eight, nine points. KU would respond. They'd get it down to three or four. They just couldn't really get over the hump, but they didn't go away. And I, I don't know if they'll end up being an NCAA tournament team. I, I think they kind of will. Um, if they can't win another game, it becomes more in question. But I, I like definitely that they're putting up fights in these games. Although they, Iowa State, they did kind of get. I think Iowa State kind of ran away with that one. Yeah, but, what but I was saying, in a lot of their. Sorry, go ahead. No, I I just think that like clearly they're showing that even if they do or don't get in, they're clearly good enough to be an NCAA tournament team and clearly good enough to win against the field. I agree completely. I think if I I'm typically of the belief that with as as the size of the tournament, if you are in it, you're good enough to be in it. If you're a power five team that did not make it, you don't have anything to complain about. Um, but I do think they're they're hovering around that that team that if they don't if they don't make it, I don't think you have much to complain about because you have opportunities as a power five team to make the NCAA tournament a lot of opportunities. Um, but if they do make it, it will be well deserved. How about this uh, breaking news piece, by the way? This is according to Pete Thamel. Art Bryles will no longer be the offensive coordinator at Grambling. Somehow, some, as cowardly and awful as it was to announce that, to wait for Russia to invade a sovereign nation, they waited to announce that. As cowardly as that was, somehow Hugh Jackson's announcement today was worse. <laughs> Did you see what they said today? I saw what... They basically do. Yeah. Don't bring up the crap at Baylor because it might upset some victims. Shut up! Oh, I, I also saw the the part where whatever, I don't know if that's actually Hugh Jackson tweeting, probably not, but it just his organization oh. <laughs> basically admitted to, like, tax fraud. Went, Look at how much I donated yeah. to that. A lot of that money was me that yeah. donated to the foundation. I took money directly out of my paycheck and, and sent it what? to the organization through them. I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that whole thing is going to be a mess. I can't imagine. I and that- Look, I'm glad. I'm sorry. I, I don't want Art Bryles. You know, I I I do believe in second chances, but I think mm-hmm. there's a limit to second chances. Second chance doesn't just mean a second chance at the dream job that you just had. Mm-hmm. It's a second chance in 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 the sense that you can go, you know, live live, yeah. live amongst society. Go to the movie theater. Yeah, like I don't you know, think anybody. Not have somebody. Yell I don't at think you. exactly. I don't think people should harass or harm Art Bryles or mm-hmm. anything like that. But I don't think he deserves to be a high level football coach anymore. Yep. All right, we're going to take a time out here, top of the 5 o'clock hour. We're going to talk more KU basketball. We actually uh, are going to be airing these little vignettes from Westwood One over the coming days leading up into March and through March Madness. So this will give you a little taste of that as well as a commercial break and then the top of the 5 o'clock hour. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and KLWN.com. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. Coming up, we'll play for you Jalen Wilson. He spoke with the media earlier today after the Baylor game and before the TCU game. You know, the Baylor game, as we talked about earlier, kind of a missed opportunity. But it's funny because while that game would have made it, I think, feel like, especially with all the other teams losing, seven of the top ten lose, all of the top six lose, it would have made you really feel like KU is an elite team. And when you look at what we were talking about last week, like the knockout games, which didn't end up coming to fruition, all those teams that won those knockout games, you felt like those were like elite teams. 
But at the same point in time, while that opportunity was missed, you could also say, yeah, college basketball is just wild, and because all those teams lost, like KU is still clearly just right there with everyone else. I think the biggest change you could take out of this weekend is that Auburn is very solidly a two-seed at this moment. There's plenty of time to change things. Um, but I think the biggest change out of this weekend was Auburn is solidly a two-seed now and Baylor is solidly a one. I think before you kind of had Baylor, Auburn, and Kentucky all hovering somewhere between the one and the two. Um, but I think if you look at the more reliable bracketology sites according to Bracket Matrix, most of them, it, it, the big change is, is Baylor's kind of securely on that one now and Auburn's kind of fallen securely on that too. I think that that's the biggest takeaway. But do you ever find yourself in this as a fan in general, not just as the J, of the Jayhawks, but the Chiefs, whomever? Do you do you give a pass to other good teams more than your own team? Oh yeah. Like like it's kind of like like I'm I'm going away from Saturday like man, Gonzaga, yeah, but St. Mary's, they 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 were that place was jumping, great great atmosphere. I walk away from Kentucky barely losing to Arkansas it's, going, yeah, that team's still tight. Yeah, that's good, a, yeah, you know? exactly. But you come away. It's it's like it's tough. You're tougher. You know. You come home. You come home for that. Ku going. God, is Ku really a yeah. title contender now? Because they lost that. When in reality, of those losses, mm-hmm. Ku lost to the highest ranked team. Yeah. And I think Ku was the only of those top ten teams who was who was the underdog that that was supposed to lose. So, again, I I think um, I think Saturday told me a hell of a lot more about Baylor than I think it did about KU. Well, Because Baylor, Baylor really was they did. really so good down the stretch. I mean, we had a conversation off air about a week or two ago. Baylor had just lost to someone. I can't remember who. It might have been Tech. might have been a game they, they weren't supposed to lose. I I don't remember. But either way, um, it was after the KU game. Then I think they lost to Tech. I think that's what it was. And we were like, man, Jonathan Chamochachua gets hurt. And then it was after that. It's like, is there a chance Baylor could kind of falter to the finish line and they end up like 12 and six in big 12 play and they're not really in the title. And they, I mean, they weren't that far. That's what's crazy too. Like it, it does, you know, recency bias. You see Baylor do that. And I think that was Baylor's a plus game as well. Maybe yeah, not they, a plus, but they, a game. They also, they I mean, were, it, it took a lot for them to win in Stillwater. Exactly. So, you know, and they then were at very, that point, they were very close. I I would never, even though they got down by a bunch in the first half, I would never say they were close to losing Saturday, but they were close to losing in Stillwater yeah, last week. Very close. So you know, it's it's weird, but I, it's kind of funny because with Baylor, um, the John, Jonathan Chamochachua injury, they're not a better team by not having him, but by not having him, it it basically created a necessity. It required them to kind of alter what they do. And by not having him, it unlocked this lineup that they weren't really playing before, Jeremy Sohan at the five. And now, even though, again, like personnel, if you added on Jonathan Chamochachua now to them understanding lineups with Jeremy Sohan at the five works, and we have Jonathan Chamochachua, then they'd be a better team. But by having this lineup, they are going to be such a matchup nightmare like come March and everything. And I do think it is interesting that when you look at a couple teams that KU has struggled with, one being Texas Tech, who they lost to one time, barely beat the other time, took a crazy Ochai shot to force double overtime, although you could also say KU should have never been in that situation. And then Baylor, who the second time around played a lot of Jeremy Sohan at the five. And even if you want to look at the Oklahoma games, 
It's teams who have five men who are going to be matchup nightmares. Now, they're different types of matchup nightmares, right? Like Tanner Groves is a three-point shooting center. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Sohan's not really a three-point shooter, although he did hit one against Kansas. He is a athletic wing, a, a driver who's playing the five. It's basically teams who do not have traditional five men. Yeah. I think if you did want like a long-term takeaway, that's something that I'm circling for whenever the March Madness bracket comes out and saying, are there teams that KU can avoid that that have those matchup fives? And is that becoming the thing? Is that not replacing, but can you add that along with really good lead guards as something important come March? I've always said there, there's a list of things that, I, that I've had for a long time to really be a, a to declare yourself a problem in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things on that list is a matchup nightmare. And it doesn't, it can be a matchup nightmare for a variety of reasons. Um, and that, I, you know, I think that, I think that would qualify as a matchup nightmare. It's just so like, even if you have a big man that is strong and can, can um, back down, um, uh, Forget it, Sohan um, can back him down when he's on defense and, and get points. Your big man is going to struggle so badly trying to defend him. So do you sacrifice that defense because your big man's going to be able to to back him down um, on the other end and score? Because if you do that, then you're sacrificing your big. You're putting your big man in a bigger risk of foul trouble. And you know because maybe he grabs, maybe he's backing down Sohan and he bumps him a little hard and gets a charge, and then on the other end he just gets blown by a couple too many times and and a couple times he hand checks him. That's three fouls right yeah. there, and so I just I think one of the great coaching is is one of them, um, a guy that can can score when you need a bucket. The the, the play is broken down and. You know, set one didn't work, set two didn't work, and you would have eight seconds left on the shot clock, and you have a guy who you can say, no, when the ball's in his hands, he's going to score. That's another great, you know, that's on the list of things that I think the more of these things you have in March, the better you're going to be, and one of those things is a is a problem mm-hmm. matchup. Yeah, and, you know, there, there are going to be teams that have stretch fives. It's not super common, but it's not like that uncommon either. I don't know how many teams are going to have what Texas Tech and Baylor have in that regard where Jeremy Sohan is going to be a first-round pick, and you have him as a wing playing at the center. Or in the case of Texas Tech, Bryson Williams is a six foot eight power forward matchup nightmare who can score in the post or hit threes from the outside. He's an all-Big 12 player. How many teams have that type of guy and they're playing him at the five? It's not many. Now, there are teams like, I mean, Villanova, for instance, they play uh, six foot seven Jermaine Samuels. He's basically a wing. He plays 35% of their center minutes. Or Colorado State, who is projected to be on the eight line. That would be an eight I don't want because David Roddy is a six foot six, 255 pound center bowling ball who can drive and he shoots 47% from three. Like, I do not want Kansas to play them. But I will say, as much as I am circling that to look out for, it's not something that's extremely common. I agree. I'll say the other thing about Sohan specifically is because what what did because I know you kind of grumbled when he can that three. Isn't he like a twenty something percent shooter? He I think three? he's at thirty two percent on the year, okay. but in conference play he was at twenty six percent during the game. I would I would argue that if you want to try to defend him, the the place you start is just say, All right, man, if you want to get lucky and can some three, I think do once it. he hit that first three I think the KU, whoever was defending him, David McCormick, Mitch Lightfoot, whoever, 
I think they start to got uh, they started to get a little hesitant. Yeah. When I think you're right, I think you probably should have just played it as this man's okay, keep shooting, to drive, you know. Yeah. Um, um, but I also think we heard Bill Self talking about you know if I could go back, I might have approached differently, and I think like everything that we've talked about, you know, KJ Adams, Zach Clements. Those aren't guys who are going to be in the rotation night in, night out, game in, game out. The idea of K.J. Adams and Zach Clements are that, but they can be specific guys to help you with a specific matchup. It might only be for 10 minutes in that game, but if they can get you 10 minutes against a stretch five, they can get you 10 minutes against an athletic five, then that could be the difference. That could swing the pendulum of the game for you to win or lose. And against Oklahoma... You use that to your benefit in the home game against Oklahoma. In the home game against Texas Tech, you use that to your benefit. That was one of the bigger K.J. Adams games. I think that's the question for me. Are we going to, because so often once we do get to March, the rotation is going to only be seven guys. Is Self going to be willing to say, hey, we're in a second round tournament game. It's as intense as ever. I haven't seen you play since the regular season, and even though you're a good matchup for me, do I really trust you to play in this moment? Yeah, it's it, and, and that's what we go back to. We talked about in the first segment. It's so much easier to be sitting there when you're discussing the scouting report with whoever, because um, I think a lot of people by now know the way Self runs things is between his three assistants, each one is given different scouts, and so when you're when you're running through the scouting report and making the, you know, developing the game, uh, the game plan. It, not the same way you develop a game plan like in the NFL, but similar concept. When you're in your meetings and you're talking about how to play or, you know, you've just won the first round game and you're in the, you know, hotel ballroom with a, a key taped to the ground, the you know, and it's two in the morning and you're scouting, it's way easier to talk about potential adjustments then than to take what might be a very big risk and, and a risk that's difficult to explain if it blows up in your face when you're in the heat of the moment, mm-hmm. like it, it's hard. It and I'm letting look. Self has paid a ton of money, and he's he's paid money to win games and to, for his decisions to be correct. I'm not trying to garner up sympathy for the guy, but I'm just saying I think it is. It's easier when when things are calmer to say yes, this would be the right decision than when you're in that moment and and the game is happening. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Maybe Saturday will be the realization of that, right? Like sometimes losses can serve as as teaching tools in that regard. And I don't know all the answers there. I I don't know what the right thing to do with the rotation is. But uh, you know, like I said, self said that in the audio. I'm just kind of taking yeah. I mean, in there. it's it's worth noting. He's and like we talk about. I mean, I've said it a million times, and, and I'm sure people are sick of it. That I I've talked about a lot how honest and forthright he is. And so when he does say something like that. It's worth jotting down. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we mentioned a lot in the open, the whole Remy Martin thing, playing more than Joe Yasfu, that's on our daily poll at RCST 1320. Uh, and we kind of went over, you know, Remy Martin struggling defensively. He looked good offensively. I'll say this, though. Just Remy Martin in a vacuum. Forget the how it impacted the game or are you surprised that Joe Yasfu played less than him or in relation to Dewan Harris. Just in terms of Remy Martin in a vacuum. First game back in a while, I think just if you like only showed me what he did in, in the box score and you said this is his first game back and this is what you got from him, I think you would probably be overall happy, even with the bad defense, of where it was in the first game back. Five and eleven, five points in 11 mm-hmm. minutes, I'll take. For the rest of the year, I'll take that sort of production. 
Um, and, and also, I think there's there's room to grow there. That the production could get even better. And, and um, I don't think a double digit game is out of the realm of possibilities for the rest of the season for him. Um, it's hard. I know you know this kind of goes against what you just said, but it really is hard to, to ignore the defense. But I I I also go that that can be improved as well. Um, I do think it's it's late in the season, so we're getting down to it. But it's still he, that can be improved as well. I I I don't really have any as much as kind of we talked about. There's not much you know. It's it's annoying to lose, but there's not a whole lot you can complain about with the other. You know, with Saturdays the whole team, you just kind of tip your tap cap to the other team and say, "Good job, Baylor. You made shots. Awesome game." Um, I do think I feel the same way about Remy Martin. It, it's it's tough to complain too much. I mean, it, his defense was worthy of criticism, but when you factor in everything, um, factor in everything that is as far as how long he was off, um, yeah, I'd take it. Okay, here's a fun hypothetical. Remy Martin, you know, continues to kind of figure it out, play 10, 15 minutes, whatever, over this final week of the season, just kind of get reacclimated and everything. Big 12 tournament comes around. Remy Martin goes off, <laughs> wins Big 12 tournament, MO, I don't know if it's MOP, yeah, MVP, MVP, whatever. Yeah. NCAA tournament, KU wins a national title. Remy Martin. Are you going to ask me if he's wins in the Final Raptors? Four MOP? Is he in the Raptors? I think the rules dictate that if you win Final Four MOP, you have to go in the Even Raptors. if he only played at that point like 20 <laughs> games. I just, I'm telling you, I think that's the rule. I think you're right. I that's think, just wild to think about. <laughs> I would, and you know what? Do it. Well, you know if what? Everything um, that you just said comes true. Yes. Then I will buy tickets to go watch his <laughs> jersey get hung. Um, Eric Hansey, who was our RCST Triver, trivia winner from last year, brought this up. And um, I think I was talking to him on Twitter or something. And, you know, always the assumption when we're talking about like Keith Langford getting his jersey into the rafters is that if KU would have. Um, beaten Syracuse in the national championship, Keith Langford could get Final Four MOP, and then he's for sure in the rafters. What happens, though, if if the shot goes in from the corner and KU sends it to overtime or something, and in overtime, Jeff Graves just continues <laughs> to rack up mega numbers, and Jeff Graves wins Final Four MOP because he, he put up crazy numbers in that Final Four. Jeff Graves was that Jeff whole, Graves that, has his jersey retired. That whole tournament was so fun. I Jeff Graves. What would be more into, obscure, Remy Martin or Jeff? Graves? Maybe that's our poll question tomorrow. A more obscure jersey. Yeah. Hand. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I it was it was truly impossible. Like the, the Jeff Graves development from just fat guy to <laughs> player that absolutely is necessary for a, a Final Four run. Um. Was was so fun to watch, and it, it, I loved that team so much, and I loved Jeff Graves to to the point that that my I I created my very first ESPN uh, account that that year, and one of the um, numbers that included was uh, the number forty two because of Jeff Graves. Like I, I loved him during that run. Um, yeah, he was. I had a buddy who said he saw him at some uh, nice Italian joint in Kansas City, and he was just mawing into this giant, <laughs> b- giant pile of pasta. Love it, gravy boat man. 
right. Uh, he's Adam Gravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN and KLWN.com. Depend on it.